Turn with me again, this time to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And again, we're just going to read a few verses in uh, Jesus' introduction for us to the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6. Reading from verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. With our Bibles in front of us, we turn to this passage together this morning. For it's hard to believe that it was just 600 years ago that the leading scientists in our world maintained that the earth was located at the center of the universe with the sun and the stars rotating around us. This theory flattered us as humans by continually reassuring that we were at the center of everything that went on in the universe. But in 1530, Nicholas Copernicus of Freiburg Cathedral published an explosive discovery that the earth actually rotates around the sun. This was a colossal reversal on perspective for everyone living on earth. No longer could we claim that the universe revolves around us. And the Lord's Prayer demands a similar kind of revolution for all of us, shattering any notions that we might have about our own importance. Do you remember the structure of the prayer? The opening line addressed to our Father in heaven. It's followed immediately by Jesus' pattern, which urges us, to pray for the hallowing of God's name, the coming of his kingdom, and the completion of his will. The repetition of the word your or thy requests the advance of God's concerns in the world as sovereign Lord above our own physical and even our own spiritual needs. And the shock comes because we're so quick to pray for ourselves And we like to pray for the needs of others, but we need a revolution to take place in our hearts, in our churches, and in our prayers that we live in our Father's world and everything must revolve around him. That's a massive shift for all of us, self-absorbed sinners. We're usually upside down in prayer, aren't we? We take prayer as the Christian version of Aladdin's lamp. We rub the bottle and hope that our own personal genie God pops up to meet our own needs. But the revolution takes place when we come to realize that we shouldn't be praying for God to come on board with our lives. Rather, we should be praying in such a way that we join him in his plans for us, for our homes, for our community, indeed for our world. It's quite a shift that we have to make, isn't it? From God, from God we've planned this, so come and bless it, to Father, what do you want done in us and around us so we can help you in that? Let me give you an example. Imagine a lad leaving school to work in a car factory. It's long hours, it's hard work. 
He has a lot to learn. And as every week passes by, his father notices that this son only begins to phone him at the weekends. The boy doesn't hate his dad, but to be honest, he feels like the father wouldn't really understand. And he couldn't offer much advice because factory life is alien to his dad. The lad rarely rings home and working life seems lonely. And if truth be told, that is how many of us think of life in this world, isn't it? We pray so little to God, for we feel that he maybe doesn't really understand what we're facing, what we're doing, or how work is going, or the struggles that we're going through. But contrast that to a situation where the father runs the factory. He's promised to teach his son the family trade, and one day he will inherit the business alongside his older brother. In other words, he joins the family business. The son feels excited. The son feels really privileged. He's daunted as he starts work on the first day, as he walks around the factory, and he tries to build up an understanding of how his father's business actually operates. He's eager to contribute in any way he can. He wants to learn. He's always on the phone to his dad, offering help with his father's plans, asking him, what is it you want done in the factory today, dad? Instead of expecting his father to listen to his own inexperienced schemes, he's much more interested in his father's business and his father's reputation. So it is with prayer. When we start to realize that in prayer as Christians, we too are joining the family business. Richard Cokin, in his helpful little book on the Lord's Prayer, says this, Prayer is not about getting our father to stop what he's doing and fit in with our generally misguided schemes. Prayer is how we get involved with God's marvelous work in us and throughout the world. What a revolution. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are praying that we would become involved in that wonderful work of making the name of our God known. That our lives would show the kind of God that we actually have. If we can pray the opening line, our Father in heaven, that is, if we are children of God, saved by his grace through the death and resurrection of his dear son, our elder brother Jesus, then we can get to work within that same family business. We're part of something bigger. And many of you know that better than I do. For your work life, your farm, your holdings, your company is maybe family owned or it's been an intergenerational thing. And for some, your biggest worries surround who will take it on next. For others, that has become apparent as a son or a daughter has stepped up and shown an interest. And you can sleep soundly in your bed at night knowing that that legacy, that business, will be passed on to someone in the next generation. But when we pray this prayer, we're acknowledging that we're part of God's family. Invited into this business of God and his son with the help and power of his Holy Spirit. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're expressing concern for our Father's name and his business in this, his world, our world. But secondly, we also see a concern about the Father's name, a concern about the Father's name. Now, we live in the Western world where names are basically titles, aren't they? You know, you know I'm known as David. That, that's my given name. That's how you would refer to me. So too, if you're a Jim or a Bill or a Dorothy or a Deborah, that, that's how you're, you're known amongst the folks in the community. But names in, in Bible times and Hebrew culture carried much more weight than just what you're called. 
It indicates exactly who you are. If I say I'm David, it doesn't tell you anything really about me. But in Hebrew, names were given because it described exactly the character of the person we were speaking about. I suppose the closest we get in Northern Ireland, I was thinking about this, it's probably nicknames, isn't it? I'm sure you still refer to friends from school days or family members by nicknames. You can probably think of some. I can think of a fella I knew who I was at school with, with really big ears. He was nicknamed Earlingus. <laughs> or another one who was always in and out of trouble, and he was nicknamed Slippy. To this day, I don't know his Christian name. <laughs> if I bump into him, he's Slippy to me. And I remember seeing him in Newton Ards not so long ago and called him Slippy, and his wife just looked. <laughs> I'll let you into a secret. For a while in sixth form, I was nicknamed Christmas because I just appeared happy all year round. <laughs> but nicknames can either be cruel or clever, but more often than not, they'll tell you something about the person. Maybe you've got a nickname and you might loathe it, or you might think, oh, it's all right. It tells you what they're like, not just who they are. And you see, when Jesus calls us to hallow the name of his Father, he's basically saying, remember who he is. It's not just a name, it tells us his character as well. Our God has a name, and his name is his reputation. His name tells us who he is, not just what he's called. And just as it's only polite when we meet someone new, what do you do? You put the hand out, you introduce yourself, you say who you are and maybe what you do or something about ourselves. Our God incredibly has done that for us. It's as if he's extended the hand of the world and says, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Do you know from the very beginning, from the very first verse in the Bible, God does that? Where we read, in the beginning, God. Now that mightn't sound particularly staggering, but then we go on to read in the magnificent chapter of the wonder of the created order in Genesis chapter 1. But even more than that, we don't need the Bible at that point to teach us anything more about the maker or the creator. Because when we lift up our eyes, even to see around us here, we see the change in the seasons, we see the sun and the rain, we see the continual growth, the streams running, the seas surging, the stunning mountain ranges, never mind the intricacies of each of us in our human bodies, we are a wonderful people in a wonderfully made place. This world was no accident and you are no accident. We are not some random collection of molecules that just happen to have been dumped here by some impersonal scientific force from millennia ago. We have a God who is. And as the Hebrew puts it in Genesis 1 verse 1, this God who says, in the beginning, God, the word there is the word Elohim. Elohim. Now, El, E-L, is the regular ancient word for God in all sorts of cultures. But from the very beginning, God introduces himself to us by extending a hand and says, I am Elohim. L-E-L as God is singular, but Elohim is plural. It can be used not just for multiple numbers, but it's used for size and stature and force and strength and might. It basically means that our creator God, who introduces himself to us in the opening words of the Bible, he says, I'm the absolute godness of God. There is no other God besides me, as he goes on to say in the commandments. 
And what kind of God is he? Well, he's the God who relates to humanity. What was he like in those opening chapters in Genesis? He was the God who walked with Adam and Eve. He was the God who talked with Adam and Eve. He was close. God was their maker. God was their friend. God was their companion until tragically sin came in and severed that cruel, cruelly. That relationship shattered. And since that time, mankind, and we see it all around us, we see it in our own lives, we see it in the lives of our friends, our lives ache. We miss out the closeness of that companionship because of what sin has done in our lives. That's why we constantly try and fill ourselves up with so many other things to cover that hole, that gap that's been left in our lives, that broken relationship. For we look around and we see the godness of God and we long to know this God who made us, who created all things. We see something of what he's like and we want to know more. We want to meet him. We want to talk to him just like Adam and Eve did. We want to relate to him. That's the kind of God we have. That's the kind of God he is. Elohim is his name. The goddest of gods. Creator God. God in all his fullness. The God who creates, the God who rules, the God who makes, the God who shapes, the God who cannot stand sin, the God who is all-powerful, the God who is all-pure. But God being God, wonderfully didn't leave it there. Having introduced us to the world and the world to us, his heart is such that he wants to continue to relate to us despite our sin and that very obvious separation. And that's where he steps into our world at time and time and time again. And he uses another glorious name, that of the Lord, spelt with four letters, all written in capital letters in our Old Testaments. Have you ever noticed that? L-O-R-D, all in capital letters in our Old Testament English Bibles. For Lord, L-O-R-D, in small letters in our Bibles, means the same as the Lord we might know today. Someone who holds a certain power, and we bow as a servant before a master. Ladies, just think Downton Abbey for that one, L-O-R-D. But rather this name, L-O-R-D, in capital letters, is how God reveals himself to his people. Some people over the years have translated that name, L-O-R-D, all in capital letters, as Jehovah, or Yahweh, It's basically made up of four other Hebrew letters. Now, I don't want to lose you in this, but stay with me. The Hebrew letters are W, or sorry, Y-H-W-H. You can see where you get Yahweh or Jehovah from in that. The problem is the Hebrews didn't really like vowels. So we don't know exactly how that should sound. Yahweh or Jehovah. But today we translate it as Lord. But what does Y-H-W-H mean. If from what I have said, Hebrew names carry meaning, like the nicknames we've spoken about, what kind of character is Y-H-W-H or Lord? What does it tell us about him? Well, in order to do that, we've already turned to it this morning in Exodus chapter 3. Because remember Moses, he was in the desert. He had escaped from Egypt for now. He doesn't know what the future would hold. And then he's confronted with his amazing sight of the burning bush. A bush whose leaves and twigs were on fire, but they weren't being burnt up. God calls Moses in that desert to lead his people to freedom from Pharaoh, but Moses is unsure. And listen to what it said in Exodus chapter 3 again. 
Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? They're not just asking, is it David or is it John or whatever? What is his name? What's his character like? Then Moses says, what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, L-O-R-D in capital letters, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Moses is terrified. What can I do before the mighty militia of the Egyptian army? But then God breaks in and tells them that the I am has sent you. Tell them the Lord, L-O-R-D, capital letters, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. For the Hebrew, Yahweh, is the Hebrew word for to be. I am, just is. So when Moses is given God's name to go back to Pharaoh and to go back to the Israelites, he is just simply to say, who sent you? Well, God is. I am. He just is. Ask God who he is and he will simply tell you, I am. There's no one else. I'm it. I've always been. I always am. I always will be. Just like the burning bush, always burning, always bright, always pure, always powerful, always scorching, never diminishing, never fading, always glowing, red hot, ongoing, never dying out. God introduces himself as I am, the Lord, the living, being, burning one. And from this very moment, that is how he relates to his people throughout all of the Old Testament. He is the personal God who reaches out to save them time and time again. He does amazing things. And the Bible even talks about him rolling up his sleeves for his people, bearing his arm for his people to rescue those people that he loves. For he is eternal and he will always be the same with them. He just is. He's continuous, self-existing, ongoing. He's always saving, always keeping, always holding, always fighting, always God for his people. That is our God, whose name is his character and whose character reveals his name. He is Lord, I am the God always for his people, not against them. And the wonderful thing is his commitment and character attributes don't end there for us either. For in this prayer, we've already called God our Father. How can we call God our Father? That we can call the I Am, the Elohim, the Creator God, our Father in heaven. How can we dare do that? Well, it comes by another name, doesn't it? Given to us in the gift of a son, in the earliest chapters of Matthew's Gospel, where we read that Mary will give birth to a son and Joseph was instructed to give him a name. And what was that name? Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. The I am's plan came in the sending of the son in order to restore that broken relationship with him. And so one day we could walk and talk with him all over again. So we could call God our father and speak to him openly and speak to God personally. 
and free to speak to him and relate to him wherever we are as his children. Here is our God. This is his name. The always saving, reaching one. What Jesus did in saving from sin was to restore that relationship again. The creatures have now freedom of access into the throne room of the creator. Like we're saying with the boys and girls, we have uninterrupted access because of what Jesus has done. We can walk and we can talk with God once again because Elohim, that awesome God, showed himself as Yahweh and came in the form of Jesus. What wonderful, glorious names. And so the question we've got to ask is, are we as passionate about the Father's name as his Son? When we hear the name of our God abused or misused or bandied about too freely and flippantly, even by believers or unbelievers alike, are we hurt? Do we share in his pain? Because the prayer asks that we would hallow his name. And hallow just means the same as holy his name. And holy is another way of saying regarding altogether different or set apart. Do we set apart God's name as altogether different? So when we pray this prayer, we are asking that in our lives and in our church and in our community and in our world, God himself, Elohim, Yahweh, the great I am, Jesus, our Father's name will be regarded as different from anyone or anything else we speak of. No other name, no other reputation, No other thing in heaven and earth from Muhammad to motor cars, from Buddha to our businesses, from finances to our families is to be spoken of in such glowing, excited terms as God. Funny, I was asked the other night by some Christian parents how they were to teach their children about the Lord. And on reflection, I don't think I gave them a very good answer. But as we live our lives, the name and reputation of our God should flow naturally from us in praise and thanksgiving. He should be someone who, by the mere mention of his name, lightens our faces, excites us, intrigues us, and delights us. For he is Elohim. He is the creator God. So as we look around, we're to acknowledge all he has made, the beauty of this stunning sunset, the marvel of the natural created order, the joy of human love amongst family and friendships, all given by God and his grace. Let's see things through the lens of a creator God who values you because he made you, who took time to form your body, who placed you in a family and who gave you a name. Let's view the world around us as a place and as we see a people who need to set apart God's name as different for when we call him Yahweh, Lord, Savior, Jesus, we speak of one who saves, who is wholeheartedly committed to us. The all-powerful, eternal Elohim God was prepared to die such a cruel death on a cross for those who he had created. There is no other God described in any other faith who gave his life for his people, who died for their sins, who rose again triumphing over death. Other faiths say, do this. Our Lord says, I've already done it. This week we've considered what it means to hallow God's name and next week we will work on how we actually do that 
in our daily lives? What is the outworking of hallowing God's name in our lives? But let's see him and serve him and speak of him like no one or nothing else. Let the revolution begin. As we see what he calls us into. And as we serve him as part of that great and glorious family business that he draws us into. We're going to take some time to pray together, not just responding to what we've heard, but also remembering the needs of others just now. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord our God, having heard your word preached this morning, thank you for reminding us so clearly in these words of the kind of God you are. We praise you that you are Elohim God over all, creator and keeper, powerful, effective, sovereign and strong, that there's no one else in your league, that there are no other gods beside you. And so this morning we remember those in our church fellowship who at this time have grown cold towards you. Maybe for those sitting here today or even for ourselves, for others sitting at home or working, we plead that you would be merciful and that they would come to recognize that the God of all the earth has a claim on their lives and that satisfaction can only be found in creation when walking in fellowship with the Creator. We praise you that you introduce yourself to us as Lord, as Yahweh, the great I am, the God who simply is, a personal God, a rescuing God, a saving God. And today we would also pray for those who due to age or ill health are cut off from the fellowship of God's people here. Help them to know that personal touch from the God whose power has not diminished and whose compassion never fades. For those who are struggling in any way, physically or emotionally or spiritually, reveal yourself to them as the I am. And seeing that he does not change, may that bring a change in their hearts that the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of Peter and Paul is with us and he is mighty to save and bring sustaining grace. Father, we also rejoice in Jesus, the one who came to save his people from their sins. Lord, review our hearts in the light of your spirit today. Show us our sin. Reveal to us the dark areas that have never been exposed or those we tuck away and never talk about even in prayer. Bring those to light and help us to see the Jesus who rescues us even from the depths. May forgiveness and salvation be found among us today as we look to Jesus alone. As we ask that your name would be hallowed, it is our request that with life and lip, that what we say we are would be seen in how we live. Lord, if we, your children, if we have known your grace, help us to be more passionate about your name, more focused on your reputation above and beyond our own. And if we're led to difficult places because of what we believe or the stand that we take, help us to rejoice that we share in such a glorious name and suffer for his name's sake. And Father, although in real terms we know so little about suffering for your name, there are many who do, and many who will die even for their faith today across this world. We pray for them now, for the frightened and the falling Christian church in Iraq, as those ISIS insurgents encroach and disrupt and destroy Christian communities and churches, for the fleeing Christians in northern Nigeria who have watched their loved ones killed and children kidnapped. Give them strength in your name. 
that name that unites us, that name that joins us. And so for Nigerian and Iraqi brothers and sisters in Christ, in all their loss, may they find comfort and consolation in the eternal parental love of our Father in heaven. Lord, we pray, hallowed be your name. Amen.